welcome to the second episode of our series of Live Lounge podcasts, where we invite business leaders to tackle major topics and trends impacting companies in China. This panel discussion was recorded in front of a live audience in Shanghai on the 24th of October 2018. The topic of this episode is digital transformation. What does digital transformation mean? How do organizations decide where to begin and what does it look like in practice? Our panel of experts provide a broad overview of the topic, comparing China to the Western world, and discuss how you might approach change within your business from operations and marketing through to recruitment. Before I introduce our panel of members, allow me to introduce the moderator of the panel discussion, Jill Smith. Jill is the Managing Director of China Iris Worldwide, a global independent advertising agency. Jill is an unconventional yet experienced marketer with a background in organizational transformation and creative strategy. Now let's meet our panel. First up is Xin Gern San. Sam is the Vice President of Product and Marketing at Seedlink, a scale-up company that augments human resources with artificial intelligence. Our second expert is Stephen Parker. Stephen is a partner at KPMG in Shanghai and is leading KPMG China's digital audit transformation and centralized audit delivery platform. Our final expert is Brian Wang. He is Area Marketing Director of Oral and Skin Health at GSK Greater China. Brian has over 12 years of marketing experience in multinational companies with a solid track record in new product development, new product launch and 360 marketing communications. So now let's enter the live lounge where Jill kicks off the discussion about digital transformation. Digital transformation is a hot topic. It's also very broad. So we have an interesting panel of, um, of experts who all bring to the table different experience and perspective on digital transformation. And hopefully you can leave here with a little bit of advice on how to manage digital transformation um, that your business is going through, be it if you're an entrepreneur, an executive, a consumer, or a marketer, hopefully this will apply to you in some capacity. Hopefully this will make for some like feisty dialogue. That's the plan. But I'm going to start off with Sam. Sam uh, Seedlink, VP of Marketing at Seedlink, kicking off with the disruptor to have a better understanding of how companies are implementing some of the challenges. I think the first thing I would like to point out is the word that you just used there, uh, disruptor. Do we consider ourselves disruptors or not? That that is a discussion that we can have, but it's not a priority in any way. Already um, feisty debate. <laughs> but I, I think the most important thing it's about what can we bring to organizations, and most of our client organizations are multinationals and whatnot. We create software or powered by machine learning, or some would call it AI, uh, that's used for HR, uh, that's used to better understand job candidates that's used to better understand your employees in analyzing the language itself. Uh, and so what we are actually bringing to HR, our, our client, is a completely different user experience in a certain way. You are no longer measuring someone or you're no longer like seeing someone based on something simply like their resumes. That you can actually use this technology to have a deeper understanding, deeper insight uh, of your potential candidates or potential employees and also your employees itself. The change is that like, they're no longer now relying only solely on their gut feelings, but that there is a technology out there that can have similar, if not deeper insights um, while keeping the user experience for the candidate or the employee seamless. 
So give us an example, because, I mean, this is really interesting technology that basically is allowing companies to measure soft skills of potential candidates. A lot of our clients are actually multinationals for one big reason. It's because AI or machine learning cannot function well without sufficient data. And so, you know, AI is still in a phase right now where that still still requires a lot of work um, because every company is different. Mm-hmm. Every role is different. So you can imagine that for if you want to use machine learning for a specific position itself, your team in that position has to be of significant size for the machine to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so right now, uh, in terms of using machine learning for this application, it's only reserved for bigger companies or bigger teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we've worked with clients like L'Oreal. L'Oreal is our flagship client almost, if I may. Uh, they're our first client. Uh, we, we started here in Shanghai. We started working with them, which L'Oreal China itself. Uh, but that was five years ago. Uh, and now we're working with them globally, across different countries, uh, and across eight languages. Mm-hmm. Now going back to this, whether we are disrupting them or not, that is almost something that we never discuss because it's all about like, okay, how can I make HR better to make better human people decisions? Uh, how do I... Uh, empower candidates to tell a story about themselves. Uh, Give an example, China itself, we know volume here is always an issue. We have tens of thousands of people apply to just one position, mm. right? And so how do we provide candidates that experience of being able to express myself without being judged solely by a piece of paper while enabling HR to process all those 30, 40, 50,000 application in an hour. So that's, that's where we, we come mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. And so you started in China, and now you've expanded to Europe as well as the U.S. How is the conversation different? So obviously there's a value story attached to Seedlink. You're able to do something that really will transform their ways of working internally, um, as well as allow them to have probably more retention within their business. But what are the tensions? So you have high volume in China, What's happening in the U.S.? What's that conversation? In general, the companies that we would work with uh, are companies that have a higher output per personnel, if I may. So they, they have high productivity in terms of revenue generated or in terms of value that they contribute to the company. Uh, and that would be many companies in the U.S. or in Europe itself, percentage-wise, relative to China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so with, with China, we bring a lot of efficiency for sure. Um, whereas for the US, people would see it as like, oh, I, I need to find something that could allow me to uh, assess 30,000 candidates while keeping diversity or increasing diversity, right? And, and so that is a huge thing in the US and also in Europe. But in China, that is, I wouldn't say even an afterthought. It's not even an afterthought in a certain way. So I think that the value difference that we bring to our clients in Europe and US is that they see very clearly going to back to uh, L'Oreal UK, mm-hmm. the recruitment director mentioned that like now, if he was to walk down the, the, the hall itself, right, the, 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 where people hang out, there's an obvious difference with who they see mm-hmm. on the floor. And from a metric point of view, they say that 40% of the people that end up being hired now because after using our system, came from backgrounds that they never would have looked at. And for China, it was 30%, but it was more of a university background thing. You know, in China, there's this like 
211985 kind of categories of like elite schools um, and that's where they used to hire from but now basically what we're saying is that like simple i would say criteria such as where you went to school or what internship you've done before or i mean even in other parts of the world like your gender your ethnicity your age like these are things that you should not look at because they don't actually contribute to you know your your work output your productivity in itself but what actually does would be your competency your soft skills um on, on top of your hard skills depending on role um, but that's what we allow them to do is that can we allow them to assess these soft skills and competency at scale mm-hmm. um, but within the US so there's a diversity contingent draw, you need right. to have that as a component but in terms of the technology itself that isn't necessarily the conversation barrier it's, it's there's a willingness to implement this technology with the companies you're speaking with well it is a conversational barrier in the sense that like they would want us to prove that we are not biased that we can actually help right increase this level of diversity at the organization itself uh, and so this is honest to provide the numbers examples on how we're helping companies um, this is because like theoretically they get it theoretically they get it because like we are now assessing someone completely colorblind but they would like to still like to see the results they would like to see and and this in a certain way um, this this almost like this willingness to experiment um, we've seen for our industry our clients being a lot more ha- happening a lot more in here in China itself and so that's why China is an important hub for us because even with our clients in in Europe they would say hey yeah we would like to try this this AI thing sounds interesting yeah. but if you like to do it in Europe yeah if you want to wait a year we got to go through IT we got to legal we got to through comms we got to through pretty much every single department out there and then we can consider using it uh, in China it was more like uh, we have clients literally work that start start working with us here in China out of the marketing leads generated in the US and in Europe because it let's just try it first in China mm-hmm. if it works there then we can consider bringing it back to uh, Europe and US as well mm-hmm. so that's just for us yeah. yeah so i was just going to say um they need to be careful here because all i keep hearing is technology and technology is the enabler exactly exactly it's, it's whatever the technology is doesn't really matter it's you, they these companies or L'Oreal, for example, mm-hmm. has a change in their business in terms of who they want to hire, mm-hmm. the skills they want to hire, right. and the same goes with my business in terms of, you know, I'm an accountant, but actually the best accountants nowadays are engineers, people with IT backgrounds, etc. My point is the tech is the enabler. Right. It's not driving the right. um, yeah. it's not driving the decisions. There's yeah. decisions around diversity, decisions around who you're hiring. Right. It's just... It's just enabling you to filter. I do want to go back to the L'Oreal just as an example of what the success metrics are. Um, so we started out in the world of campus recruitment. So like I said, large volume. And so very naturally, the metrics that they would look at would be how much time did you help me save? Uh, and so it ranges. It depends on your volume of hiring, obviously. But it ranges from 80% to 95%. And now then, quite naturally, whenever I mentioned this, people asked, so did somebody lose their jobs? No, they didn't. Um, because what this ended up happening was like HR had a slight change in their role. Um, so I know now for a fact that HR would create a WeChat group with people that pass a certain stage and have one-on-one intimate conversations with them. This is something that they could never have thought of doing because there's just no way of managing such a big pool of people. Right. Um, and so it kind of make them more, 
human in the HR, you know, the human, the H part of HR, um, and make this a less cold process. Now, that's just for the efficiency gains that we are seeing um, because that's where we started. Um, but just about a month ago, we complete, completed an, an, an audit, a case study with one of our clients here in Shanghai. They are a headhunting firm. They're a recruiting firm. So you can imagine that 70% of their companies are recruiting consultants. And so you can imagine that this requires a lot of soft skills and people skills. Mm-hmm. What they found out about a year and a half after working with us was that the cohort that was hired after using a system like ours, they compared them with performance of previous years. Now, these are revenue drivers of the company. These are your 100% revenue drivers. They compared with the revenue in previous year itself. They made sure that it was apples to apples in the sense that they made sure that we are only looking at the same industries because they always add industries and it has a different value. They made sure it was the same industries. They made sure that it was people that joined in Q2, Q3, and they made sure that it, they only looked at their first year of revenue itself. And the difference, the lift, was 30% difference in revenue generated by these sales you know, or recruiting consultants. Now, there's one more variable that we haven't accounted for, which is market performance itself, right? So if market has been mm-hmm. going up by 30% for this particular industry, then it's, you know, you can't attribute it to us. Uh, but market actually went down. You know, going back to, you, know, you mentioned technology and enabler completely mm-hmm. because it required their CEO to convince, to, to first buy this idea that like, yeah, okay, I don't need to spend 10 hours talking to a candidate all the way from resume screening to phone interview number one, phone interview number two, face-to-face. And then because this CEO, he himself would actually interview them because they're not very big, you know, they're 200 men big. But now it has completely changed how they look at talent. It redefined how they look at talent. But more importantly, they allow the hiring managers to make decisions as long as the score that the machine assigned to it is above a certain threshold. But I think, so going to your, to your point around tech being the enabler, mm. there takes a certain amount of leadership within an organization that allows mm. for this sort of implementation at a global level. So even looking at your experience, which is very vast within China, um, but doing digital audits specifically across a number of traditional industries, how are you seeing companies or have you seen companies previously mm. and, that, and then now look at digital transformation? When I think of digital transformation, my, my clients are in the make it, ship it, sell it, what I do. And I, I'm actually an auditor, so I, by, by heart I'm an auditor, but actually I'm an advisor. So uh, make it, ship it, sell it. So heavy manufacturing, freight forwarding, retail. Um, then you've got banking, healthcare. These are the sectors that are really the ones that are reportedly most affected by... The most sexy sectors. The sexy, but they're, they're <laughs> affected most by disruption and by... Digitalization, exactly. digital transformation. So, and then uh, I'm an accountant, um, and ours is probably number one or two to be disrupted. Supposedly, I'm out of a job in five years' time if I if I read the papers, which is untrue, and I'll explain why. Um, but in my experience, uh, if if I think, well, firstly, some of my clients, so you get the sense of who they are. Um, local ones in China are uh, Carefor. Um, some of us have read, uh, shopped in Carefor, Jellafu. Uh, Metro, Madelong, RT Mart, Ocean. Mm-hmm. Then in terms of logistics, it's the companies like AP Moller, Maersk. You see the ships on there. Uh, Kuhn and Argel. And then heavy manufacturing is, you know, it could be it's steel, it's textile, etc. So I see it all right from make it all the way to sell it. Not necessarily these companies, but what I do see them doing in China is 
there, there was something said at Duke University, and it was a professor that said, um, everyone thinks everyone else is doing it. And this is teenagers having sex. He said, everyone thinks everyone else is doing DNA. And they are, but not maybe as sophisticated as we, as we might think. So w- what I'm seeing is actually, rather than companies re-engineering their whole processes, they're actually taking tasks within their existing business and trying to transform them, digitalize them. So rather than seeing the end-to-end process and turning it completely on its head and saying, let's re-engineer it, they take the existing process and say, how do I automate that bit, that bit, that bit? And that's what they're doing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you're never going to truly transform your business if that's how you address the issue by taking existing human practice and saying, let's see how I can automate that, automate that. That's not digital transformation. That's bits and piecemeal. And that, that's what, what I'm seeing under a similar theme. They're taking their existing systems, legacy systems, and trying to automate them using robots, RPA, to, I guess, better integrate their existing systems. So you could say... Uh, we call it low-level swivel activities. You've got a robot goes and takes a bit from here, information from here, a bit from here, a bit from here, and puts it all together. That's not true transformation. That's actually low-level automation, which is nothing wrong with it, and there's, there's benefits to be had, but that's not, going to, that's not going to make it in five years' time. Mm-hmm. It needs to be something much more. Yeah, and you said something interesting earlier in just thinking about KPMG and, and just the advising practice, and you had said that that's no longer really the nature of the work. It's people are looking for solutions. So while it might be these bits and pieces, ultimately they want something that's packaged up and owned that allows them to do their job more efficiently, better ROI. So you want to speak a bit more about that because it's it's transformed KPMG as well. I was trained 25, 30 years ago in in the UK. Why did people pay me as an accountant? They paid for two things. They paid for knowledge and they paid for you actually doing the work. Well, they don't pay for knowledge anymore because you can you Wikipedia it, you can search online. So they're paying for you actually to do it. So in the past, advisors, consultants, mm-hmm. you'd, uh, you'd go into their business and you'd give them a recommendation for how to do something. And then you'd leave them to go and do it. You've only done 20% of the work. You've not been done the hard bit yet, which is mm-hmm. actually do doing it. it. And clients want the complete end-to-end solution. Mm. They want it just done. I'm not in selling hours anymore. We're selling solutions, complete solutions. The client wants us to go in. We need to understand the problem and then build a solution. And typically what's happening is now, say, I'm not selling hours. I'm selling a complete solution. Maybe I'm selling them some technology, which then they have to pay year-on-year, recurring a license. Or maybe we're selling them a software which they then own. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very different what we're doing. So as an example, we have, and we talked about this earlier on, we have now worked with HSBC. It's one of our clients. Uh, and at our shared service center in uh, Guangdong, um, we have, there's a lot of automation, but we have a 1,000 people at KPMG in, in Guangzhou doing work for HSBC. And we do all their client onboarding. And we, we built technology 
to do their client onboarding. And there's chatbots, there's data ingestion technology, natural language processing, visualization, robots, all of that. We've stitched it all together and built a solution for them, which we've now, we've, we're now doing that work. This is something we'd never have done yeah. before. Just on that, so I'm wondering also for Sam, and then we'll, we'll chat consumer experience with Brian. Is this technology allowing you to have stronger partnerships with your clients? Because it sounds like with KPMG, consulting model, it's sort of like you hand it over and then buy. Mm-hmm. Not really a retainer. Mm-hmm. You're partnering now. Is, is that something that with Seedlink, you're, you're able to have these long-term relationships um, because of the nature of the technology? It's not plug and play and goodbye. Yeah, so... I- I have a perfect example in this one, but I cannot mention names. But they're in the consulting industry, one of the biggest in the world. That's all I can say about them. Uh, and they started using us, right, in, in helping to first get a... So they wanted a snapshot of each team in the Netherlands. And so what we did with them is like, okay, let's, let's, let's just define what type of competencies are important to your organizations. Oh, yeah, we have a competency framework that we've used for the past five, ten years. And by the way, we are a consulting company. We tell other companies their competency framework. But like, okay, all right, let's just use your competency framework. And so we measured the entire organization based on these competency framework. But we took a very different approach. We took a very um, data-driven approach. So we had the machine actually, what we call, interview these employees and the, the main thing that we were trying to show them and they wanted to show them is that what competencies actually lead to job performance. Interview every single one of them. We built a, an AI that would help do this, that would also assess each person and see what competency correlates best to job performance. And lo and behold, when the results came out, everybody was shocked because, because it had no correlation whatsoever. And then the, we basically started having this discussion with them like on trying to figure out what actually went wrong. And so this discussion, this relationship with them is a long one. Mm-hmm. And so right now, what we're trying to do for them is like, okay, if these nine competencies doesn't work for, didn't work for you, are there other things that we, we have seen with other companies that we can borrow? Can we get, bring in a professor or another consultant for the, your consulting? Mm-hmm. And so this is what we're experimenting with them. Okay. Um, and so we, we've changed something that's very, once again, very CEO-driven or maybe like top-level-driven on competencies in the company itself to something that, hey, we, here's a measuring tape. Um, do whatever you want with it. And one of it could be, why don't you measure how important these competencies are to job performance itself? The last point about this is also the nature of machine learning is that it just gets better with exactly. more data. And so you almost have like a hook once you've started working with them because if they were to cancel and go with someone else, there will be a lot of time and efficiency loss itself. Okay. Yeah. So you make them need to work with you. Yes. <laughs> Before moving to the consumer piece, yeah. I just have a question. Actually, it's, re- it's really interesting Be- uh, for the both machine learning and also uh, we, we, I, I, I hear you talking about some of the digital transformation for the kind of the process, the end-to-end process. Because I was in, uh, in UK G- uh, JSK house working for, uh, under the CEO office uh, last year. So one of the things that we were tasked is that we, we need to help our new CEO to make our employees' job easier. So one, so I just want to ask, what is kind of the big, biggest barriers from your perspective when we run in the kind of digital transformation? Because some of the topics that, that we were talking about, if we want to make thing, things easier, process could be an uh, issue. Technology could have been an issue. So that's actually very interesting. I, I really want to have your views on this. 
uh, I, th I think the, the key barrier that I've seen, and it's also within my own organization as well, I have challenges, is about the sea level buy-in to what's happening. This, this can't be a, a, it cannot be a bottom-up transformation. It needs to be a top-down. So I, I think the key, one of the key challenges I see is sea level vision, sea mm. level strategy, sea level sort of lack of clear goals and direction. Where do they want to go with this? Do, do they really have an appetite for change? Do they have a budget for change? Mm. There's a, a lack of in-house talent to actually deal with the change. There's change management, there's technology. If, if I take my business and I say it's changing rapidly, my business, we now have programmers, we've got geeks, we've got, we've got universities building algorithms for us. That We'd never have done that 20 years ago. We have technology centers, labs, etc. We only build those if there's an appetite from the top. So I, I think truly mm. it's... Does the chairman want to change? Does the, is everyone, have they got their soldiers all lined in the right direction? Because many organizations don't. They're all going in, mm. in different directions. So I think that's the biggest challenge. Um, I would actually mm. echo that. Uh, mm. But for us, because we sell a, a product, right? mm. ours is SaaS, um, there are two ways to go. Uh, one is that we sell to the people that will be using it. Mm. So in our case, it will be your recruitment directors, your recruitment managers. These are the people that would actually use it. Or even your talent development uh, managers and whatnot. Um, but what usually happens when you do that is that you keep your scope very small. And for something like digital transformation, mm. if you keep a scope, scope small, it's almost like what you said, like you improve this little bit. Nothing wrong with that. Mm. Um, but you won't really reap the the value, the real value, if you actually involve the entire organization, and that's when you need top leadership. So for us, our most effective implementation, I would say, would be CEO-driven. You get more access, basically. So, I mean, if there's change from the top, that allows for implementation kind of throughout the business. Yeah, and, and, and if I may add one more thing, like, in our implementation as well, you know, setting up an AI system to start working requires time and resources. Mm -hmm. It's not plug and play, right? Mm -hmm. Because you want an AI to be customized for you and things like that. And so this requires senior ma management's approval and vision and yeah, commitment. Exactly. And the ability, I mean, we talked earlier, and the ability yeah. to fail. Yeah. Because most of the right. projects will fail. Right. The, the prototypes, they all fail. And we, we talked about that, Brian. Yeah. Perfect segue. Um, I'm now I want to kind of change gears and think about the, the consumer experience. So, Brian, um, brand marketer in China for 15 plus years, working for a number of brands, has seen sort of transformation um, kind of in the most consumer facing way. And thinking about GSK and where the brand has gone, where it's going, some of these challenges we've just discussed. Um, what's that landscape been for you to navigate and how do you prioritize some of these, um, these things that as marketers we're hearing about all the time? So O2O, <coughs> mobile payment, how do you manage those priori priorities internally? Right, so actually, um, so it's, very, it's, it's very interesting because when we talk about the internally and uh, externally, so when we do the marketing, we face to the consumers and internally we face the users. It's, for the marketing, the biggest challenge is, is how you change the consumer's behavior, right? We, we need to change them, their, their mindset first. So for, for, I think for the, 
for the chi- Chinese consumer because actually the environment changed so fast. So digital booming actually is well recognized within within GSK. So we are also going through some of the digital transformation for the brand marketing as well. But uh, some of the key challenges, as for example, I, I've been uh, in this market for for like o- over ten years, even five or eight years ago. So when we are doing some search, that's very advanced. So we are still talking about the triangle area, so of, uh, so so on and so so forth. We are talking about a lot of technologies. How to how can we do the SEO, search engine optimization? That that's very advanced. But but moving to he. To now, so it's it's still valid because for the for the category we are we are managing, we are managing the OTC category, which is the kind of the biggest categories that we 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 have, and also I'm I'm managing the oral health and skin. This all therapeutic areas, so people search online, so where they got some problems, so that's kind of a more reactive approach. That's still we still think this is very fundamental. However, for for China, the fundamental is not good enough because actually we face different types of consumers. They have different types of needs. They will face different problems. So we are actually changing the the how we segment the consumer. But years ago, we still use kind of a traditional research. We do consumer <coughs> segmentation. So we just segment the consumer in different types of ways. For example, age, the household income, um, gender. And also some of the psych- psych- psychographic. Now, actually, with the with the uh, the data that we have, for example, Ali, they have huge data. So we actually they have the labels. So do we really need to to do the segmentation anymore? Because like in different moments, consumer will change. You are still use the same consumer, but if you your behavior probably will change when you search for skincare products versus OTC products. You are still you, but your needs, your your insights, your the moment that you you make the decision will be changed. The consumer segmentation really valid, still valid. So this kind of fundamentally change our the way we we market our brands. So now in GSK we are changing from the consumer segmentation to the persona, the digital persona, because we we think that uh, the digital persona can better profile the state. Of the consumer when they make the purchase decision, the other things we previously we are talking about the path to purchase, the purchase journey. So how 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 do they make the purchase decision? Now, actually, from、uh, at this moment, experience is actually more important than purchase decision because when consumer get a better、uh, experience, so they they are. They tend to purchase your brand if you can provide their be, be,、uh, their experience even better, not just for the OTC product or or but also for the kind of skincare and also the oral health products. What does that mean? So consumer in GSK, we actually have defined consumer journey from four different phases. So we we need to them to want it first, right? They the 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 want they need to want our brands. So in their consumer experience journey, how do we make them to notice our brand, investigate the proper solutions, and also consider your brands? So what the key task the brands? So to address the consumer's issue, then they they will get get it, and then use it. The the the, the fundamental change is promoted because actually in other words, for、uh, in in the offline offline world. 
people cannot post their reviews. But in the digital world, you can review all the different comments from different users. So that will become very important when you do the brand marketing. So something that's interesting, and we're talking about failing fast and being willing to experiment. Um, GSK is a global company, right. and so knowing that we're moving at a far more accelerated pace and implementing this consumer experience journey than our partners in the West, um, what are some of the conversations you're having with your with your global counterparts um, around their path to purchase, which I'm sure is still path to purchase, not consumer experience journey? I think our global counterpart is more open now. Oh. Than before, okay. So, but to really let them understand the, the dynamics of uh, uh, dynamics of the China, China market situation was still quite. We still need um, need to take some efforts to really let let them understanding. And actually, for the mature market, developing market, with the the, the total market situation, consumer needs and competitive set. Uh, is totally different. I think that's the overall dilemma for the multinational companies because that we are competing with local players. They are actually very strong because they are rooted here, so they can respond the the market, the consumers even faster. Something that we really need to to make us more competitive. And how are you prioritizing these these digital elements for the consumer journey internally? To be really honest, we we are still pretty traditional because actually, just as we have a we are I'm running the global brand, so we actually have a global guidelines on our media. So the global guideline for the、uh, has allocate certain percentage to TVC. That means that still. still traditional. That's something that we really need to still working with them to how、uh, to how to address the digital importance of digital. And how we invest more in digital, and the third thing is that e-commerce. How we market or build up a brand through the e-commerce channel, not just the e-commerce as a sales channel. That's fundamentally changed.、Mm-hmm. Thinking about that, how willing would a GSK be to implement a Seedlink technology for within? <laughs> just actually, we are actually this is something that we are we we have plans. But I, we, we do not have the capability at this moment because we are talking about the AI technology for how we we, we have pain relief products like Panadol, Fembit here, but Panadol、uh, globally. So actually, they they are coming out、uh, how we really、uh, leverage the AI technology to more targeted to the the, the experts and develop the digitalized uh, engagement content. It's just started. Okay. To be honest, <laughs> probably you can give us some advice. Uh, what, um, <laughs> maybe a referral fee. To yeah,、use. sure. No,、uh. yeah, no, it's just interesting.、Yeah. I mean, to be doing business in China, global company, but to see some of the barriers that you know are obviously impacting a number of traditional businesses as well. So I think that those same challenges. We face a challenge every day, every <laughs> single day. This is our challenge. You know, when we go out to our clients, you know, we talk about this. Yes, they see the value that we bring to them, but a lot of things that we do on a day-to-day basis is about making them feel comfortable enough. Well, these are traditional companies with a lot of global processes and whatnot. You know, you bring a new innovative solution, but then you are still measured by traditional KPIs and whatnot. And this is especially true when it's not a top-down digital transformation strategy. You know, it, it's difficult. It's very, very challenging, and and therefore, you know, when you mentioned about needing top-down. Uh, for support, 
what I see is, and particularly Brian, going to your point, is one of the issues we face is access to data. Is there enough mm. data and trusted data, yeah. um, both internally within the organization, because amazing or not, actually, there's loads of information, mm. but getting your arms around it in a standardized form, mm. you know, it's not one nice data pool that you go and take data yeah. from. It's across multiple systems, legacy systems. Yeah. It's actually perhaps even just use your Excel spreadsheets, all of that. Mm-hmm. Who's got the data? People are very careful about their data. So we see access to the data and then the ability to use the data and understand the data is a big, big challenge. Mm. Um, and talking about consumer behavior, I, what I see is, and I've worked with, uh, not GSK, I've worked with one of your competitors we all assume they've got the data, but they don't. And particularly mm. consumer behavior, yep. um, social data, media data, it's actually very difficult to get and synthesize. I don't know if, if that's one of the challenges you face, Brian. Exactly. So I think that's also something that we need to, the very different approach from the global. Mm. We need to test and learn. Uh, the test requires investment. Mm. So we need to be really, you know, if we want to catch up the trend, lead the trend, we need to do that. I just want to share the data, actually, Alligate's data, mm. right? However, so uh, they all, uh, they very recently, in the beginning of this year, they launched their new products called Strategy Center. So actually, they have the different levels of data, but actually, Strategy Center, they have the whole data within the Ali ecosystem, mm. which is, is beyond Taobao and Timor. Mm. So actually, we, we actually have the strategic partnership with them. So we, we, so we are allowed to access their data. So with the data, we, we actually identify some of the labels, not the consumers, labels mm. that ha, ha, can help us mm. to ruin, uh, that, that's, that, those labels are our, our potential users. So when we work with them, so we don't know that actually the strategy center data is not robust enough. So, but we, they have labels. But when we do the media buy, we need to translate to different buckets. So it, we need to group, regroup them to kind of 30 different target audience to reach um, those people that we want. Um, to that point, what I see organizations doing is, is they're building alliances. So they're building alliances with Tencent, Alibaba, Baidu, Microsoft for many things, but maybe it's advertising, maybe it's the data, maybe it's building cloud solutions. They're all doing it because they can't invest in that technology themselves. And they're not in that, you know, you're in the, frankly, the pharmaceutical business, the healthcare business. You're not in the building IT solutions, but you need them. So what I'm seeing is companies, be it retail, be it banks, they're all building these alliances and working together. I talked about building solutions. Mm. That's, what, that's what they're doing. And I think that's happening particularly well in China. Like if you look at JD and where JD mm. started from, and then now to kind of fill in their, their individual organizational gaps, they've partnered with Walmart as well as mm. Farfetch. And these things have all helped to kind of grow their business in the areas they couldn't stretch. I think thinking about your partnerships beyond just your tech is ultimately going to support um, future-proofing your business. And that concludes our second episode of the Live Lounge podcast series with special thanks to Jill and the panel. Our third Live Lounge episode is coming soon, which is all about how to launch your brand in China. This is an excellent panel discussion targeting those with their sights on the China market and those with entrepreneurial or startup ambitions. 
you have topic ideas for future Live Lounge podcasts, please contact the British Chamber of Commerce Shanghai's Marketing Focus Group. We welcome your feedback and ideas to better our series. Thank you.